We should have released what we just talked about, though. That, that should have been the episode. Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back. Uh, as you may have just heard from Cody, we, we've already done an episode. We forgot to record. It, it, it's, a, it's a small technical detail about podcasting, right, Cody? You, you should hit record before you start talking about things that people might be interested in. You know, there are just some topics that you really hit on them and you're like, wow, I really hope the people like that. That was kind of off the rails. It's like, oh, we actually <laughs> we didn't start recording. That's that, just so our we'll podcast. Yeah, that's our podcast. Yeah. That's just yeah. that's how it works. Um, well, today, many of you have asked about this. We mentioned it a couple episodes ago. And, you know, it's the end of the year. We're feeling feeling jolly. It's kind of a holiday word, right? What do you use jolly in any other time other than the holidays? Do people do that? Ranchers. If you're having a jolly rancher, a jo- like that, that's probably when you would have. I know that because I have a, a bag of them in my desk. And they're great, although the blue ones, because I was going to have a blue one earlier today, but I knew someone on YouTube would be like, look at this 30-year-old with blue tongue, and I, I couldn't deal with that, so I stuck with the green today. Yes, okay. So Jolly jolly fits with uh, the holidays, and also Jolly fits with like farming and ranching, apparently. Uh, but the point was, we were, we were feeling Jolly, and we, you've asked, and we talked about it, and we teased it. And so today we are going to do, as you saw in the episode title already, Joel Embiid. Versus Giannis Antetokounmpo, basically resurrecting the old great debates. Remember those, Cody? Remember when we used to do great debates around these parts? I don't know if I actually did an episode of those with you. I think those mm. were all before my time. Those were you did a few of those in like the first like fifty episodes. Or yeah, the first fifty episodes would span like five years, and then <laughs> we've done about two hundred uh, since. The you know it's prioritizing podcast and trying to trying to take it more seriously. But like that is where we're going today. Um, before we do that, before we do that, I think you have, you have an announcement or some housekeeping. You, it, it's, you take the floor, take the floor. Go ahead. I just realized, I think I wrote the person's name down, but I think it's at Critter Raft on Twitter, or it's like the, the name might, might just be Critter. Uh, this individual tweeted at us and was listening to one of our past episodes when we were talking about a five by five, which is when you get five of five different statistical categories, five points, five rebounds, five assists, five steals, five blocks, like the classic Andre Kurolinko thing. And this individual tweeted at us and said, uh, a five by five should be called a Yahtzee. And I've legitimately never heard a better idea like on the website of Twitter before. Like This is the reason social media is around, and I just want to shout that idea out. And I will henceforth, Ben, be referring to 5x5s as Yahtzees. I love it. It's fantastic. I mean, one, as I've said before, I just think people should send us cool messages like this all the time. I know it's very in vogue to go to the social media and try to be as mean and critical of, of people as you can possibly be. Um, I still haven't figured out how that's social, but okay. Uh, but in lieu of that, if you're not going to do that, these are great ideas. Five by five as Yahtzee. I have a question. Um, is it count as a Yahtzee if you get five turnovers? Oh, wow. What's, is there like a bad version of Yahtzee like I haven't played the game in a while but I don't know if there's something where you get like four or like maybe you roll a lose your turn or something like this mix against some wheel of fortune I'm not sure I think we need a different term from a a Yahtzee that's not a real Yahtzee okay um well unless we have any other business to take care of uh, this season Joel Embiid Giannis the Bucks the Sixers are they still tied I feel like they've been glued together in the standings for about a month mm-hmm. um they both have mvps in the past they're both two of the best players in the game they're both big men they both have an interesting style 
Who's better? Who would you rather have? Let's get the hot takes going, Cody, right now. <laughs> let's just let's just jump right in. Uh, I'm going to put you on the hot seat. What's your answer? So I'm going to put my cards on the table. I'm right, totally joking. I'm not here. putting you on the hot seat. We probably no, we, we have to talk this through. Let let me put my cards on the table though, because I think this is going to be the, the dirty elephant in the room, Ben, as as you you like to say. Uh, I'm a Bucks fan. I'm a huge Bucks fan. I was there, like not I, I was like there in spirit when the Bucks won the championship in 2021. That was an excellent moment in my life. Uh, so of course, like I want the Bucks to be successful, but Ben, my allegiance is to the sport and intellectual curiosity surrounding basketball. Like, it does not matter to me if it comes out on top that Giannis is the better basketball player than Embiid. Like, I genuinely, it just, I don't care. What I care about is that we go through this exercise right now and have a good conversation to try and determine this because I think it's a really interesting question. I genuinely do. And I don't like the framing even. Like, I don't want to say I'm going to debate you. Like, I'm not an old school Redditor. It's like, debate me, fool. Like, no, I want to have a conversation and see if we can learn some things about how we feel about these two players and where they stand in the league, historically or even right now. So you're saying we should change the name of the series to Great Conversations from Giannis versus Embiid. Great Conversations. I'm, I'm with you. Let's keep debate. Let's keep debate. No, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, that's the that's the thing that makes them great debates is you can look at it from the perspective of, oh, my goodness, you know, one side has to be right. One side has to be wrong. In fact, if you look at classic debate structure, I think this is a downfall of a lot of political systems like you're f- being forced to take one side in an argument isn't really the best way to to find truth. It's not the find best way to find truth philosophically. It's also certainly not the best way to find truth scientifically. And so the thing that makes it a great debate to me is like you may have a preference at the end of the day, but man, there's a lot of interesting perspectives to look at here. There's a lot to talk through. There's a lot to understand, and I may have stronger feelings by the end of this conversation however long it takes us to get through if this takes 10 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever if it's 10 minutes we're just going to end the podcast we're gonna have the shortest (laughs) podcast ever but like i may feel differently at the end but right now there's no conclusion in my head it's more curiosity of like Mm -hmm. hmm is Giannis's defense where it was in the past and what's going on within beads passing where we'll contextualize that more we've already done a video on it and how do you how do you feel about the scoring that these players present in the half court in a playoff series like this is where my mind goes so enough enough footsie enough teasing let's uh let's jump right in yeah absolutely so okay let me actually clarify something of course we, we got to clarify things we we're, <laughs> questions here, ben. Um, we're, we're talking are we talking this season or are we talking peak Giannis versus peak Embiid okay well I was thinking this season but I mean that is like a perfect segue because to me this is clearly peak Joel Embiid this oh, is yeah. this is the best oh, yeah. we've ever seen the only question is you know, do you think it will hold up in the playoffs or is there some reason to believe that it's probabilistically less likely for him to be healthy in the playoffs? Because the context he's playing in, the basketball he's playing, the skill that he has, to me, this is the best on both ends of the floor we've ever seen from Joel Embiid. Giannis's peak, however, Cody, this is a good place to start. If you if you will give me the floor for a second, I was doing some historical research and going through our database on uh, thinkingbasketball.net, which is available for deluxe Patreon subscribers. And if you look at Giannis, his peak, basically from a statistical perspective, was closer to 2019 than 2024. 
So his best box plus minus in our model that tries to look at things like how good a player is versus how much value a player had in his setting. It tries to look at things like playmaking, passing, a little bit, a little bit of a richer offensive perspective. 2019 was his peak in that stat at plus 7.7. And that is a great number. Uh, that is 21st of all time in our database. His second best season in that stat was 2020, plus 7.3, slightly behind it. And of course, those are the two years he won most valuable player. Then we look at things like plus minus, and we have a stat that tries to kind of estimate uh, an adjusted plus minus, if you will, you know, looking at the strength of the team around you and things like that. And in that stat, which we have called augmented plus minus, um, he's also top 40 of all time peaking at about plus five and a half per game in 2019 and 2020, slightly better in 2020. So those are the two years. 2021, the numbers start to come down a little bit. You go from, you know, plus eight, plus six to plus six, plus five. By the time you get to 2023 last year, Cody, he's the lowest of any point in these peak years, all the way down to plus five in box plus minus. So there's almost like a declining trend in Giannis's career arc right now. And I don't know if that's something that is accepted or controversial, but I certainly haven't heard it or seen it talked about too much. And it was the first thing I noticed when I was like, Embiid to me looks like he's going up. And this is like the craziest I've ever seen him play on both ends. Giannis, I almost have more question marks related to his efficacy compared to what looks like his peak season statistically. And I think I'm trying to think about what I feel about when I hear some of those numbers, because when I think about 2020 and 2019, I think what you were citing at me were a bunch of regular season numbers, right? Correct. Okay. Yep. Do you know, do you have the playoff numbers in front of you? And I don't know. And I think this is also the issue is because a couple of those seasons, the 2020 playoffs, last year's playoffs, they have early exits, right? So we don't have big sample sizes to see exactly how good Giannis was in those situations. And I don't want to be like a, a winning bias sort of thing where I just point to 2021 and say that's Giannis's peak because they won the championship. But I do think like thinking about 2021, maybe even like 2022, it felt like he had a little bit more tricks in his bag right like maybe across the regular season the motor wasn't turned up all the way across like however many games he was playing and when we got down into it into the into the playoffs he became just tougher to stop but that's just my what I feel like I've seen across from him uh from those last couple seasons so like 2019 2020 maybe his peak in the regular season but I do think like closer to 2021 2022 ish might actually be when I think he was the best version of himself, especially when it came to like a playoff series when teams are able to like really focus in on you. Yeah, I think I agree with that arc completely. I think that's my impression as well. Uh, if you look at some of the playoff numbers, not to get dizzy in numbers too early in the show, but very consistently around like plus six box plus minus in our model in the playoffs, which is, you know, still like 98th percentile historically. And then in 2022, it actually goes down to plus 4.8. But I'm with you, like how much of that is the Celtics series and how much of that is an inability to adjust for that level of great defense, especially when, who was it? Chris Middleton yep. was missing in that series. So he's, he's carrying more of an offensive load and burden than he normally would. Does it skew the stats? So I, I'm with you. And then in my head, that's kind of the period that the, the, the defense and the passing and the scoring and the athleticism all kind of harmonize the most. But now I'm trying to figure out like, 
what is actually the decline, if any, in the last year or two? Last year, we we had an injury in the playoffs again. The regular season impact doesn't look as good. Does it matter that the game has changed so much in the last five years? We've done so many episodes and so many topics on the evolution of the sport and it's and the shifting of tactics and how you can't just play the old way and how offensive rating has gone up, you know, four, five, six, seven points league-wide. The playoff offenses are more efficient than ever before. Does that change stuff when you try to build an offense around Giannis? So that's kind of – that's where my head – starts to go when I look at 2024 because his regular season numbers again look great in 2024 but we don't see that same impact you don't look at it and go oh Giannis has to be top two top three MVP because he's just crushing the league like he did five years ago so 2024 obviously it's a good place to start because that's the (laughs) season where we are right now uh but I do think we've mentioned this before we alluded to it in previous episodes but Giannis and Embiid are so contrasting in 2024 because they both are undergoing two very different coaching changes, right? And they're both undergoing very different roster changes, okay? And so, you know, when I think about Giannis last year versus this year, and when I watch the Bucks, I'm not necessarily sure if I see that much different of a player. I don't. But all of a sudden, like, it's a completely different system. They, of course, went through, like, the not drop coverage defense for a while, but they've been playing drop coverage for a good chunk of the season now. Damian Lillard is just completely different from any kind of point guard he's ever played with, right? Like, he's probably closer to, like, Brandon Knight <laughs> from early in his career than, say, like, Drew Holiday or, or Eric Bledsoe. And so, like, there's a lot of adjustments there. Uh, Chris Middleton, obviously, isn't able to carry a lot of the weight that he has in the last couple of seasons. And I know he sat out a lot of, I think it was last season, too, so we kind of see that sort of carry over. Whereas Embiid, it's something I want to ask about Embiid to transition to him for a second, is versus last year, what do you think looks different from him versus how much is it the Nick Nurse and the roster construction of it all? Yeah, I think the place to start is the passing, where Embiid has attempted to make these incremental improvements in pass. Maybe attempted is the wrong word. He just has had these small incremental improvements. And every time one of those happens, you know, uh, somebody spins up a narrative and they get very excited. And Embiid is taking the passing leap. He's a significantly better passer. And it's like, I don't see that. What I see is small improvements that he's, to his credit, like three, four years of small improvements will get you a decent amount of the way up the ladder. But the other thing that's happened this year, as you just said, is the structural offensive changes with Nurse, uh, getting him up high. We did the entire video on how essentially you've got more of like a Denver Nuggets sort of Jokic. And it's it's weird to mention Jokic because of the whole Jokic and Bead rivalry thing or the, the constant comparison thing between the two players. But Jokic is the archetype of more of this high post delay kind of, you know, handoff offense with the big man, funnel stuff through him, play pitch basket, you know, flow into pick and roll, restart the dribble, all this stuff. And Embiid is skilled enough and he's come along enough as a passer that that is a viable option where you'll watch plays that like Denver runs the exact same play and he'll never make the pass that Jokic makes because it's just Nikola Jokic. It's very few people ever could do it. But when you make like 70% of those passes, combined with his size and just his screening presence in like handoff game and then the skill to pop or catch it downhill on the roll or stop on the roll short and take the 12 foot pull up from the free throw line or whatever. Um, 
I mean, now's a good as time. Now is as good of a time as any to mention that Joel Embiid is leading the league in scoring for the third straight year. And it's at like 34 points per game. But if you look at the per possession numbers, he's averaging 35 points per 75 possessions. And he's always, his efficiency is like always 6% ahead of the league. I don't know if that could check. Like he could be at 20 and plus six. He could maybe go to 40 and plus six. I don't know. That thing is the most consistent scoring curve I've ever seen. So, you know, that's the offensive side. And then on the defensive side, I think he's been a little bit more engaged. I don't know if it's a coaching thing or a teammate thing or a conditioning thing, because that's the elephant in the room with him that we'll talk about when we get to like playoffs and high level matchups, the motor, the condition, the engagement. He's such a big guy that it's hard for that to be consistent. I think that's been better night to night. I think his little reads, his reactions, Neither he and Giannis I would put on like the A-tier top line defensive awareness guys, but his presence and size and reaction and effort on the defensive end around the basket has been fantastic. And so to me, that's why I think he's playing the best basketball he's ever played, even if it isn't a massive difference from like last season. Let's let's talk about offense for a second, because they don't operate in the same sort of way right like you don't see a ton of like like you just said a little delay action Ben like you don't see Giannis just like doing the handoff thing and then he's gonna go do like a pull-up jumper and whatever else he though gets to operate in sort of that same sort of place like if you view Embiid or Giannis kind of operating near the top of the key Giannis gets it in like these short roll situations right like Damian Lillard or Chris Middleton or whomever else gets double teamed or blitzed or hedge danced and he just catches it in this position is able to make a move whereas Embiid you know he gets a pitch from Tyrese Maxey, Maxey's running around, maybe uh, maybe DeAnthony Melton's running over to get something and whatever else, and they kind of move around. In that situation, the huge difference that Embiid has, that like Jokic also has, but again, not quite to Jokic's level, but still like the same idea, is the mid-range game is really, really deadly from Embiid. Yep, like yep. he is a mammoth of an individual, and you have to like back off a bit or else he's just going to truck you down into the basket. But if you give him too much space, he's also like enormous, so you can't go and contest the jump shot. And that ju- con- uh, jump shot is consistent. And I think that to me is like the thing that's most shocking about his game is just how feathery soft his jumper is from that position. Whereas like Giannis, he catches it. The team can like, the defense can kind of back up and they have to because we're talking about one of the best finishers at the basket of all time. But we're also talking about a guy that I haven't looked at the number. I probably should have, but he's shooting just putrid numbers for mid-range, right? And he's shooting a lot of them. Giannis loves, loves taking those mid-range jumpers. I mean, it's so frustrating, Ben. Like if he could cut out a few of those and just change them to like some other action he could squeeze out a little bit more juice out of the offense but to me when I think about them operating in a similar space Embiid has a clear edge in that situation because to me he just has a I don't want to say a more difficult to defend offensive package but he has more of a diverse scoring package where you have to throw a bit more at him to make him think about like how to handle his score you you can't play the same way with Giannis that Embiid plays because of the lack of shooting. I mean, that's kind of the short of it. So with Giannis, if let's let's hone in on half court offense because this is something okay. that's really been in my head. I think transition. Giannis is great in transition, and that's an element that Embiid doesn't really have to the same degree. And I sometimes wonder how much Giannis's transition stats 
inflates uh, or his his production and transition inflates some of his scoring stats when we make these kinds of comparisons because in the half court with Giannis and this is a big philosophical question for me Cody I'm, I'm I need your help diving in what is the best way to play with him in the half court because with Embiid you can and I wouldn't advocate it all the time but you can post up you can do the Doc Rivers isolate and clear out. He's still going to be at 33 points plus 6%. You're going to have a good offense. Might not be a great offense, but you're going to have a good offense. And now I think we're seeing a more optimized way to play with him, especially when you have a guard like Tyrese Maxey, where get Embiid higher out on the floor and all of these actions that you see from Alpern Shengun and uh, you know Nikola Vucevic in the past and Nikola Jokic, they work with Embiid because of his skill with the ball shooting from the mid-range, popping out to the three-point line. And, of course, the dude can hand off and flow into roll action downhill, as I mentioned earlier. So Embiid is in the 98th percentile in mid-range attempts. <laughs> and at, in the 98th percentile, he's, uh, he's shooting 48%, which is also in the 83rd percentile. So a lot of volume, a lot of efficiency. I just pulled that up on our little player card on thinkingbasketball.net which is also telling me I got to get this one more thought off Cody cuz it's just it's it's blowing me away. Their offensive rating with him on the court this year is 125, which is near the very top of the league. And I think you can run offenses with higher ceilings. I think playing that way with him out on the court and creating more space and using his shooting and you know, uh blending and flowing with these other players than a kind of offense you could construct with Giannis. So full circle, what is the best way to use off Giannis on offense? Well, something I want you to pull up here because Ed, like, everything's going to crash if I try and pull up the player card here. But I would like to know it's Giannis. Okay. Is... That, that Minnesota internet, we're going yeah. to get it worked out. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Winter comes and it just slows down, Ben. Everything just crawls to a stop. Uh, if you could pull up the player card for Giannis, because I'd like to know his on-court offensive rating because their offense has been great this season. But when you talk about it, you know, when you talk about the best way to use him in half-court offense, I think he's fairly dynamic because he can attack an offense in a few different ways. Like, you can have him run a pick-and-roll probably better than Embiid can. Like, he can get downhill, and once he's downhill, he's frankly impossible to stop, right? So you can do that. You can do regular pick-and-rolls with him where he's also a dynamic roller, and I've, I've talked about it a lot. And Ben, every time I pull up a Bucks game, I'm impressed with his short roll passing. I'm just really impressed with his ability to catch. He thinks about the pass for a second. He's able to, he's, he's processing quicker than I remember him doing. And he's, you know, laydowns for dunks, skips to the opposite corner. So like that sort of action. But also like Embiid's a low motor kind of offensive player right? It's kind of like slower and laboring and, you know, sort of like a LeBron is a plotting offensive player, like a plotting slow kind of player. Giannis is just like a wrecking ball. Like he can be off ball and all of a sudden if he cuts to the basket, like one of the best lob finishers of all time, I don't think he's quite to like an Anthony Davis level, but he's at least in the conversation. And I don't know when you have him that can attack off a weak side like that, where he's like, oh, I have a gap. I'm going to cut to the basket. One of the best players ever at doing that. And then you can kind of put him in all of these other uh, areas. I don't know. I think that's how you use him is you can just kind of you just kind of switch it up instead of like always making him the focal point of the offensive set. Yeah, I, I buy that. So I think there are times when he gets it in space and then he can attack in space and that's his superpower because he's so big, but he's also quicker than most players who are going to try to guard him. At the, at the same time, 
I wonder if this is why some of the playoff offenses have fizzled a little bit because in the postseason, a couple things change defensively in the modern NBA. One is you just you have the scouting report on a dude and you go, okay, we honest, welcome to the playoffs. Take your 10 threes. We are going to sit at the free throw line and we are going to get everyone as low as possible. And we're just going to do that every time. Two, we're going to shrink the floor. Teams in the regular season don't always night to night bring that approach. But in the postseason, they'll do it. They'll force you to beat them with shooting outside. And I think the reason they'll do it is the third big change is effort. Just guys, it's it's not that during the regular season in the NBA, it's low effort. It might have been in 1985, but not anymore. The guys work like crazy out there. But defensively, on that end specifically, like the burst you can give for five or eight minute stints or just the intensity on certain half-court possessions, you can't replicate it. And so I wonder if that like, oh, Giannis has it in space. Everyone knows what to do. And this is what the Celtics did to him. And I, I think the Celtics series was interesting because Giannis was both very impressive in what the Bucks were able to do and what he was able to do in that series. But also, if I remember correctly, wasn't his efficiency like in the tank in that series? Wasn't it like either below average or well below average? I think we talked about it at the time. I, I, I can't remember. Do you? He was definitely below water for a period of time in those playoffs and that Celtics thing. But again, Chris Middleton was out for, I don't think it was the entire series, but he was hampered for the series. And I think he was carrying a much bigger load and whatever else. But here's the other thing talking about playoff uh, scoring with Giannis. And this, this blows my mind. So from 2021 to 2023, right, which is kind of like the best sample of playoff data. And I kind of ran the regular season data to see uh, as well. Giannis is uh he's led the league in shots at the rim per 100 possessions in the playoffs at that time with 14. That's actually higher than the number of rim attempts he had during the regular season at that same time and his percentage is like 1 percentage points lower. It goes like from 77% to 76%. So like this idea that it's like, "Oh, you can really easy easily scheme for Giannis cuz like he just goes to the basket." But like he goes to the basket better than everyone ever not named like LeBron James or Shaq, right? And so, like, when you are so good at that, like, you know, I think you can maybe limit some of his other things. You can you can stress him and cause him to make decisions that he doesn't want to make or make him shoot some more jumpers. But the fact is he's going to get to the basket and he's going to be, like, the most efficient scorer there that we've ever seen. Yeah, no, I don't think he's easy to scheme for. I don't think it's easy to pull that off. I think, I think the trade-off is in the playoffs, you know, how many, how many times are you getting to produce a mid-range jumper from him how many times is he settling for a three by shrinking that court and then also how many of those I'll go back to what I said earlier how many of those are in transition and how many in, are in the half court transition is an important part of basketball whether it's 10 percent of the plays or 20 percent of the plays uh, but there are times in playoff settings when you can take it you can be a little bit more cognizant or focused about taking it away and even make offensive decisions where you're like we're not going to crash the glass. We're going to get back in transition and make sure they don't get that easy stuff. So these are the subtle little things that go through my mind when we talk about like scheming for Giannis in the playoffs. And I was only thinking about him in open space, which I think that's a superpower. You also talked about pick and roll, handoff, getting downhill, lob threat. I'll add offensive rebounding because mm -hmm. he, I mean, he's just a, a monster. He's a menace. Uh, and then I think when you add that with the transition, you get you get a very good offensive player. I don't think, at least to me, I don't think you get an offensive player 
that has the ceiling of a guy that can like create and collapse defenses. And I mean, go back to our conversation about Luka Doncic, like whatever the numbers are, we know in a playoff setting that he can just be a one man offense in the sense that like, you have to give him attention. He has to have double teams. He has to have the defense slide over and help. He ha- he will put them in rotation. And then his passing opens up all this stuff for shooters and cutters and whatnot. As good as Giannis is offensively in my head, I don't know if I can get him to that next level of like, oh, snap your fingers and you have a championship offense. Okay. So the way when you phrase it that way, I, I agree with that, right? I don't think, especially in the playoffs, we have like no evidence of him really elevating an offense to like an all time level offense or even like a really above average offense. Like I think even like in this this three year postseason run between 21 and 23 like their offense has probably been lower than league average from what I've seen but when you talk about the defensive attention he draws I think about the ways that both Embiid and Giannis draw defensive attention like Embiid you watch him he's like you know he's set up at like kind of the six the elbow he's got the ball at the elbow extended out a little bit maybe closer to the corner and it seems to like a lot of teams have these rules where when he starts dribbling starts attacking they send a double right they send a double to get Embiid right away but before that, it seems to be like a one-on-one. Like, let's wait and see what Embiid's going to do. But I feel like every possession that Giannis brings the ball up, and I think this is the thing about transition with him, every possession where he brings the ball up could be a transition possession for him. And you see defenses responding where, like, they're shading, like, three guys over to where he is to be like, all right, we need to make absolute sure that this is gated off from him to just, like, you know, because he doesn't care if he trucks into you right? Love it or hate it, right? He doesn't care if he's just going to lower his shoulder and ram it into your throat. And so like the defenses always have to be prepared for that. And I feel like there's a lot more of like defenses bending preemptively to Giannis than I see preemptive loading to like Embiid offensively. Cody, did you know that if you do that, it is a foul on the defense with their throat? (laughs) It's two free throws on the defensive throat foul. I think that's what it's called. They they, they do like a little choke signal uh, when they call it him in the head especially like if you get if you get an elbow head. if you get an elbow was it Giannis in the game last night I, I I was watching someone recently it was Bobby Portis it wasn't Giannis I'm sorry it was Bobby Portis from your Milwaukee Bucks he he they're playing the Pacers and he turned and uh hit Isaiah Jackson in the face with his elbow he was pushing uh, it wasn't like he was holding the ball with two hands he he let go of the ball with his left hand to shoot with his right hand and extended his elbow into Isaiah Jackson's face general area, you know, nose or whatever. The elbow hits him. He's bleeding. He's bleeding. He's on the sideline with the old tissue crammed up the, the nostril full of blood. And they review the play. Rick Carlisle challenges the play and they review it. And uh, I believe the official ruling was a defensive foul on his face. I believe that was the uh, <laughs> official ruling. Giannis had 64 points by the way, last night, but he was being guarded by Bunny Heald. So it's the conversion rate. We put it in the Thinking Basketball historical calculator. Uh, it comes out to a 34.5-point game. I was going to say, this: the unspoken thing here is Embiid just dropped 50 on the Wizards and Giannis had a 64-point game, but that's probably like a 25-point game and a 34-point game. So like neither of those games really factor into, into any of my analysis like whatsoever today. Uh, I don't remember what we were talking about. We'll have to get back on track, but I did want to, I did want to wait a long time before answering this because I don't like comparing them side by side because it's a team stat 
and I feel like people fixate on it too much. But you asked about Giannis's offensive rating. The Bucks had a great have had a great offense this year. Uh, I think they'll they'll finish with a very good regular season offense. One hundred and twenty two offensive rating when he's on the court. So not quite as good as Philadelphia's. But I mean, there's also this thing about the overall performance that is kind of flooring me a little bit. When Giannis is on the court this year, mm-hmm. Milwaukee's outscoring teams by about six points per one hundred. It's not. It doesn't move me, Cody. It doesn't move me. When Joel Embiid is on the court this year, uh, do you, you want to guess what Philadelphia is outscoring teams by? Or you, do you know it? Have you looked it up? I, I don't know, but I think it's a. I think it's a good number, Ben. Yeah, it's plus thirteen. <laughs> Just under plus thirteen. Yeah, that's a nice number. Yeah. So, and his on-off isn't even monstrous. It's not like he's plus 20 or anything. Like, Philly's just good, and I think they're playing really good basketball, and they're playing really, really effective offensive basketball, and I think it's built around him. So, you'll probably have more to say about that. You might push back, but where my mind has been going is, in the past, like, if I look at my notes and my player valuations from last year or two years ago, it's like, I don't know who I would rather have on offense. But now I'm starting to think, I think... Like this version of Joel Embiid as the centerpiece of an offense playing this way, I think that gives you a higher ceiling on most teams. And then you think about a playoff setting and like going against the best defenses in a championship setting. We know that stuff is hard to guard. You have you have a decent guard that you can play two man game with. You have cutters and slashers or shooters like they have in Philadelphia. Uh, look, I'm not sitting here saying the 76ers are going to be the uh, Steve Nash Suns and storm through the playoffs with their offense, but. In my head, that looks like, based on similar examples and based on how good Embiid is as a singular force in a playoff series where he's like, I'll take my 35 points, I'm going to foul you out. As long as I'm healthy, it's going to be hard to handle. I think that's a higher ceiling. What do you, what do you make of that? I think that, that, sounds, I mean, that sounds reasonable to me. The thing that like I don't want to push back against, but I don't know if this goes against the spirit of the whole thing, is especially with the Bucks right now, I'm, I really didn't pull a lot of, like, this year numbers right now. Because, you know, I think back to, say, like, the 2011, 2011 Heat. I thought right? you were going to say the 2011 Bucks, and I said, right. well, I, I was not ready for this. Go ahead. Absolutely yes. not. I don't yes. know if that's the 55-point season. We got, we, got some Brandon, we got some Brandon Jennings. What do we, what do you got? It's uh, John Salmons? What's go, what's going on? Yeah. You know, don't, don't do this to me. <laughs> but LeBron and Wade joined forces in Miami during 2000, 2010, 2011. And I think they go nine and eight in their first seventeen games. They do, yeah. Like there's there's an adjustment period, right? There is an adjustment period, especially when you like and we talked about this before the season. Like both Giannis and Damian Lillard are guys that like have the ball a lot. Like the transition between like everyone talking about this is gonna be the best pick and roll duo like ever. Neither of them have like played with somebody like the other one, right? So I I look at everything that we're seeing this year with like a a, a mighty fine pinch of salt, Ben. Like, you know, I don't like the pinch of salt. Like, I put a lot more than a pinch in. You need a lot more seasoning than just, like, a little dabble in there. Uh, but I'm I'm a little bit more skeptical of anything just from this season. But your point still stands because you look at some of the playoff numbers from the last few seasons and all of the, the lineups when Giannis is on the court just, you know, we'll talk about the full package in a second here, but offensively, they're just not, like, world-beating offensive uh, lineups when he's out there. So, yeah, yeah, I, th- I think I agree with you. I think I agree with you that Embiid probably gets you to higher heights. Yeah, that's that's where my head is. And for people who are familiar with Embiid's playoff numbers, they've been very inconsistent and in some cases poor. Unless I'm forgetting one, I believe most of those are related to health. Like he's got some injury and he tries to play through it like last year. 
And so the numbers kind of get cratered. I don't anticipate, and this is to your point, Cody, like we don't, we haven't done the playoffs yet on this season. We haven't seen it. I don't anticipate a healthy, in shape Joel Embiid struggling or falling apart in the playoffs in this offensive environment with Nick Nurse as his coach. Can we jump to the defensive side? Please. Absolutely. Oh boy. Um, my, my, we'll get to Giannis because he's very interesting as an archetype, especially after our conversation about Anthony Davis last time. But my concern with Embiid is he's a phenomenal rim protector, but is he a little bit too rigid as sort of a classic drop coverage big that you can get stretched out? You can get Jason Tatum to come down here and say, hey, you know, let's just let's set this pick and roll 33 feet away and I'm going to take a pull up three. I'm going to drive right by you. And that's that says nothing about certain guards that he could face like a Damian Lillard who have that uh, ability and that stretching threat. Like that's where my mind goes. How how impactful over the course of a playoff run in today's NBA is that defense going to be because the rim protection part of it, the probing the paint, the like protecting your house. Whoo, Cody, it's it's really good. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you started with Anthony Davis here as a comparison. I don't know if I would trust Embiid playing at the level for, like, the entirety of a playoff series. Up, like, up, if that was... up at the level of the screen, out high, you mean. Yeah, so, yeah. like, point guard comes across and he steps up to, like, stop them. Yeah. Like, I think we saw it a lot even in, like, the Boston series last year. Like, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown could leave him in the dust a few times. But I don't want to mince any words with this, Ben. Joel Embiid is a titanic rim protector. Like, we're talking, you stack up some of the numbers that you gather. I've referenced this a lot, Ben, and I have been playing with, like, rim protection stats uh, throughout this year. And you stack them up to basically anybody not named, like, Rudy Gobert over this last, like, this century. He's right there with every single person. Jason Collins. Jason Collins is the other sneaky, just unbelievable <laughs> wow. rim protector. That was, that was a deep cut. If, you, if you're a new <laughs> listener, it's not an episode unless we can say a random player's name from the 90s or 2000s, some era when the score might have been like 73 to 72, or the shorts were incredibly short, or it was black and white. So Cody has an obligation contractually to fulfill that. And if you don't know about Jason Collins, now you know the, the man was a monster. Uh, continue. Yeah, incredible room protector. But my point is, like, Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, like, any of these guys, Joel Embiid is right there with some of these room protection numbers. So that's always the difficult thing to, like, parse this season, like the Brooke Lopez school of, like, I can shut down the paint better than everyone else. But, like, if we change up the the scheme that the defense is playing, I'm going to be a little bit more... I'm going to be nervous about that. And that's the trade-off. When Embiid is built like he's built, you know, and I'm not, like, shaming him. He's built like a god out there. Like, he's a statue. He's a colossus in the paint, Ben. But the colossus just isn't going to be quick. So, you know, that's the trade-off of not being able to attack somebody like that that's that's that gargantuan in the paint. Yeah. Uh, Cody, Cody collects these rim numbers, and uh, I, I, I won't get into the, you know, methods or details, but basically when you look at Embiid, um, like – just absolute, absolute massive difference when he's on the floor versus off the floor. But I will say, you know, to, to the counter argument there is that at least this season when he's on the floor, as as good as, as, as big as the change is when he goes on the court, the Philadelphia defense, like the rim protection isn't insane. It's not like the Timberwolves when Rudy Gobert is on the court or something like that. So, I mean, that's something just to contextualize and, and keep in your head. Giannis, defensively, 
the selling point is, okay, he's really versatile. I can play different coverages. I can switch. I can bring him out high to the level of those screens and have him shut off the water for the pull-up three-point shooter or something like that. He can roam behind the play. We've seen this in so many playoff series playing next to to Brooke Lopez. Um, and as an, as an example of a spe- specific technique or tactic, you will see Giannis on the weak side, off ball defensively, rotate, help, and then recover and make a play. Embiid really almost never does that. Uh, and it's just hard for him. He's a big guy, and the motor is not the same as Giannis's motor. So Embiid will make great plays. He will make safe blocks and chase down blocks and tippy-toe his feet. And you're like, how did he do that at that size? But that second action, that like swing-swing, Go, go tag a guy, recover out to the three-point shooter, close out, get back in the paint. You're going to see more of those plays from Giannis. So I think in theory, you have a higher defensive ceiling in the postseason with him. But I mean, at the same time, like, isn't Giannis helped a ton by Brooke Lopez and the ability for Brooke to come in, a, in and out of the game, play double bigs, whatnot? Does Embiid look differently if he has another great defensive forward next to him? Like, what what do we actually think the difference is in a playoff setting? Are you really sold that you'd rather have one over the other? I think, you know, gut reactions, I feel like I would rather have Giannis as a defensive player in a playoff setting because of that flexibility. Like, when you have Embiid, you really kind of are stuck with that style. And, you know, we have the whole – I'm not saying you can't build a championship defense – around like Joel Embiid you absolutely no that's what you're that's what you're saying I've already seen the comments they're pouring in uh Cody has said no ability to have a good defense with Joel Embiid so let's just get that on the record that's it that's exactly it that and Luka Doncic is just trash those are my two takes that I am absolutely flying in my flag did you did you say that did you say he was really terrible no, I absolutely didn't say that. Luka Doncic <laughs> is a fantastic player. I just I don't, I don't think he's like the best player in the league. That's, well, that's that, that look, Cody, he's either the best player or he's terrible. Continue. <laughs> um, so you know, you look at you look in the last couple of seasons in the playoffs again, twenty twenty one to twenty twenty three, and the defensive rating when Giannis is on the court without Brook is still like one hundred four, like a one hundred four defensive rating in today's NBA when Brook is off the court. Okay, and of course, there's a couple of seasons there where it's like Bobby Portis is the backup big. And like, I love Bobby Portis, but he's not like a defensive like mastermind. I know Drew Holiday is in there and whatever else, but Giannis is taking the bulk of a lot of the rim protection. The thing, though, is like you go back to, I think, the 2020 season where before the bubble, the Bucks were like on pace to have one of the best like 10 defenses ever in the regular season. And I think there's some wonkiness going on with the rim protection because that season specifically overstates just how good Giannis is at a rim protector. But you can actually like run drop defense with Giannis. Like the point guard comes and he can drop back and do it basically better than most <laughs> most centers that aren't like specifically drop centers. So I think the fact that like you can fall back on this style where like, you know, that's like a team's comfort defense. Like you can do that with him. But then you can get really funky with him and you know, I call me call me lame Ben, but like I'm going to go into like like excited sports fan for a second. The DeAndre Aiden alley-oop block is like one of the most impossible plays I've ever seen in go. the history of the sport and like being a like, this is the Anthony Davis thing we were talking about last time. When you see GOAT-level impossible plays when you're like, that's it, no one else can do that, that that scores some points for me because that's what separates, like, when we're to the best of the best, 
those are the kinds of like inches that we're measuring out here. But do you think Giannis is at that like AD level defensively? <sighs> this this is the whole conversation with AD Ben. Like are we taught like when the when, best okay, okay when, so, he, when he's when he's on, when he's healthy, when he's in good condition, and I will to use your words, uh I will just show you all my cards. You know. I think the difference is Davis is a little bendier and he's a little better changing directions. And you can even see it in the drop technique. Like in the drop technique, Giannis gets like hunched down and he's like ready, he's like ready to sprint or like go into like uh, some sort of, uh, I, I don't know, sumo fight or something. And he just, he just tur- ramps up the motor to 100, pounds his feet, slides. And, you know, he's, as you said, he's really good at it. But you can see this with someone like Victor Wembanyama as well. Davis's hips... Like he lets the play come to him and handles the rolling big and the ball and he swivels on his hips and that just like subtle side to side action. His, we talked about it last time, his ability to challenge, go out, close out, recover, or make a play at the basket and then take one step to the corner and block a three point shot. Like he had one against Memphis in the playoffs last year. It just absolutely makes no sense in terms of physics and the way the world works. That, to me, is a subtle difference. I would think of Giannis as a slightly stiffer version of that, and that's where I think it it might be splitting hairs, but that's where I think when Davis is on, he goes to another tier, and Giannis doesn't quite have that versatility, and to bring it all home, you see it in his switch defense. Like, Mm. yes, it's great that he can be a center. I think in many ways he is a center. He's like 6'10", 6'11", as you said. He's just a monster rim protector. I actually think Giannis is maybe better in drop than any of the other coverages. And when he's out on the perimeter and switching, there for my money for like the top top tier, there's a little there's a little too much that he gives up in terms of quickness where a lot of guards can get by him or shake him or things like that. That's that's what I'm getting at. Does is that is that fair? Does that make sense? No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And it has to go back to, like, there's all the rhetoric where, you know, you'd go into a series with Giannis and a lot of talking heads were like, well, why isn't Giannis picking up so-and-so? That's not what Giannis does. Like, that's not his strong suit. And, you know, my hesitation when you asked about Anthony Davis is just, like, go back and listen to the other episode. Anthony Davis is complicated, but, like, the best of the best of what we've seen from Anthony Davis, yeah, I think that surpasses anything we've seen from Giannis. When we're talking about Giannis and Embiid here on defense, I think we're, you can tell me if you disagree with this, I think we're talking about a rung down from what we've seen from guys like Kevin Garnett right, or, right. or anyone else at that level. Like, we're not talking about the best defensive players in the playoffs. So, like, when we see Anthony Davis at his absolute peak, like, that's quite literally some of the best defense I've seen, like, in the playoffs. Yeah, I think I think we're in the same space. I think we're in the same space. It might seem like splitting hairs, but I think you get to another level when you have some of those skills. I think the other thing with both Giannis and Embiid, I said it earlier, is they, they're they not guys who have like weak awareness of what's going on. They're, they don't have, they don't get stuck ball watching and fall asleep, but you'll see play, you know, you'll turn on a game and you'll see plays where there's a layup at the basket and you're like, wait, who was the nearest big who probably should have rotated there? And it's like, Giannis or Embiid will have similar plays like that. And in both cases, they're just like fixated on their dude um, in a different way. Giannis is usually fixated on his dude like, I am ready to foam at the mouth. And Embiid's fixated on his dude like, do I have to move? Because I'm just, I'm a god out here. I don't really have to. (laughs) Embiid has this incredible um, sort of casualness about some of his best defensive plays because he's got such quick little feet and he falls so much. And so it's sort of the way he moves all that weight around is so protective for himself that he doesn't 
jump into a stance and hold his arms out and wave his arms. He kind of looks like he's just like, you know, not, he's like a little playing, playing a little possum. He's not doing anything. And then he just slides with you and blocks the shot. So it, it is to me a slightly different level than those all time greats. I think here's a question on defense that I would love to know. If we gave both of these guys really good defensive teammates, who has a higher ceiling, who's easier to build around? And I'm I'm saying cheat the offense here for a second. Like, don't go crazy. Don't give me five all-defensive teammates. But, like, th- throw these guys some really good defenders. Is Milwaukee, have we already seen that version? Is it Giannis playing next to a twin tower protector like Brooke Lopez and absolutely need, like, a ball hawk like Drew Holiday and Eric Bledsoe? If it's not, what else is it? And what would that be for Embiid? Wow. The second part of that question is interesting. Again, gut reaction. I feel like I'm pretty easy Giannis in that respect. Like, we have, like, solid evidence of him just having, like, incredible defensive numbers again in a in an era when all of the offensive numbers are exploding so much. And I would be really interested, like, what would happen if, like, and I don't know if it's, like, a one-to-one type of comparison, but what if we swapped out, like, Brooke Lopez and it was, like, Jason Tatum on defense? Right. Or like we swap out Brooke Lopez and it's like Herb Jones or something like that. And Giannis is like the actual five and he's surrounded by like this like this pterodactyl next to him. Like, I feel like they could do some funky things and I think they would still be like an incredible defense. Right. Whereas like, you know, so you can with Giannis, you're like, I can see this defense being unbelievable if Rudy Gobert is out there with him. Or if, like, Herb Jones is out there. And that seems kind of, like, cheap because, like, of course, you and I would look like good defenders if those, those guys were out Speak there. Speak for yourself, Cody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you can't do that with Embiid. Like, you, I don't think you can pick uh, pair, like, Joel Embiid and Rudy Gobert and be like, this is going to be a great defense, right? You're going to have to pick or choose. But, like, obviously he would do very well with, like, a Jason Tatum or Herb Jones or something like that. But overall... I think the the flexibility and the types of guys, I think this is why the Bucks can work with, like, we have Brooke Lopez or Robin Lopez, but we also have Bobby Portis coming in and playing that. And no matter, like, what combination of those, the defense still works because Giannis is such a jackknife. J.J. Redick is my defensive comp for no. <laughs> for anyone wondering. It's, uh, it's rim protection numbers. This one um, tracked by second spectrum. When you're within six feet of the basket, what is the opponent's expected field goal percentage takes into account who's shooting and where they're shooting from and things like that. Uh, if you look at the last two years, Joel Embiid contests a lot of shots, contests nine shots per 36 near the basket, and players are shooting 4% worse. So it's good, it's good volume. That means he's active, he's contesting shots, but the expected field goal percentage is not mind-blowing. Do you have, you have a thought about that? Can I guess... Giannis's volume. Yeah, go for it. So for per thirty six, you said Embiid's like nine. I'm gonna yeah. guess Giannis is like four and a half. Oh my god! Can you elaborate on why you said that? He he just is like he's never been like the main guy that goes down and defends shots at the rim. Like that's usually like Brook Lopez. He's like the second side guy. It's like it's like half of what we see from the the real like drop big guys. It's just so fascinating. Uh, the answer is five. Cody just Cody just dialed it in and I think it 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 punctuates the conversation we just had about like roles and styles and extending to the perimeter and roaming and the value of the team context that you're in for these defensive stats and trying to understand your role and your effectiveness uh opponents shooting 15 percent worse at the rim now to be fair 
the entire Bucks team, I think, is lifted by historically having Lopez and Giannis and Drew Holiday. So those numbers are, you know, I, I can't easily pull out Lopez from those numbers. But it's really interesting because I do think Giannis, when he contests shots around the basket, is is fantastic. Uh, and I think for me, my takeaway is still, I think Giannis is a little better defensively. Now, we might not have seen it this year. So if you're if you're listening and you're thinking like, well, what about the first month or two of the season? How would you great? I don't know if Giannis has had a great start to the season defensively, but that's not where my mind is. My mind is thinking about the playoffs and the fact that I can probably safely, Cody, expect him to be a reasonable proximity of where I've seen him in the past when mm-hmm. he ramps up defense and all the chips are on the line. So in my head right now, regular season, I think Embiid has probably been better on offense and he maybe has been better on defense, but looking forward to the playoffs, it gets more interesting because I think I would rather have Giannis on defense and I think I would rather have Embiid on offense. Okay. Yeah, I think that sounds reasonable. And if we are talking about the regular season, like if I had to like give an MVP vote, I don't even like, okay, if we were ranking like best players right now, just for this season, I'd take a beat. I really would. The thing that like really gives me pause and the the difficult thing with Embiid, like you said before, is the fact that he hasn't had like a full healthy playoffs, right? So when you start diving into the numbers and you start diving into the film, like we have to realize like against Toronto a couple of years ago, what, he had like a broken face, like he had his face broken or something like that. And last season, I don't even remember what happened, but he missed like the first couple games of, I think the Nets, I don't know, but there's been some like injury stuff with him. So we haven't seen like peak Embiid in the playoffs. But Ben, you talked about like earlier in the episode, you were like, oh, can you build like a like a championship level offense with Giannis? Let me tell you what you can build a championship level of, and that's net rating. Because we look at 2021 <laughs> to 2023 uh, in the playoffs, and you look at the, the lineups when Drew Holiday, Giannis, and Chris Middleton are on the court together. It's 660 minutes, 658 to be exact. It's a good little sample size. What do you, what are you getting at? Plus, like plus 10? Plus 12.6. 12 yeah. And like we've talked about this before, I think in the 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 off season, if you approach plus ten in the playoffs, like that's incredible. You're talking like some of the best duos ever. Plus twelve point six across this three year span, and this includes 2023 and like 2022 when they didn't make it to the championship and were even bounced in the first round. Like this doesn't just include their championship season. So like there is full evidence that even next to guys that like you look in the fit isn't perfect. Like Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday don't necessarily complement all three of each other, like offensively, but defensively, like they just work together. And I think that like, we have strong evidence of Giannis being able to do that. And I have to be biased because we don't have strong evidence of Embiid doing that. And I know there's like other factors that go into it, but like, I don't know. I'm, I'm swayed by that number, Ben. That's not what the word bias means the word Sorry, bi- I, should, the w- I shouldn't have said bias that's a bad time to say bias the word bias now means you're just wrong or, or <laughs> i disagree with you that's what it means um that was an internet joke for those listeners out there who aren't familiar with how often the word bias is used to just mean random things on on the world wide web now has anyone when was the last time someone called it the world wide web was it like 2004 no, it was back when yeah. jason collins was swatting jumpers that's what Joel Embiid's injury 
history, just a brief rundown of his playoff injury history. He had a knee sprain last year in 2023, mm. had an orbital fracture that Cody referenced, and a torn thumb ligament in 2022 that he tried to play through. Tore his meniscus in 2021, uh, orbital fracture and concussion in 2018, knee tendonitis in 2019. And that list is missing. Uh, he had an abdominal injury as well in one of the playoff series. I cannot remember if it was injury or some abdominal issue that he had going on there. So, yeah, to your last point, the evidence is in, the evidence is tricky to weigh because of all these things. But looking forward, does that mean that I expect like the healthy version of Embiid not to have playoff success? I personally don't. I think there's enough there in his game, the strengths in his game, his game when he plays the best teams and the best defenses in the league. And I think the real question is, can you simply game plan for him because Philadelphia is lacking a lot of other high-end talent? Is that something that we might see happen? Uh, if that's the case, what does that actually mean? Do I do I care too much? Is, is it reasonable to expect Embiid to be amazing without maybe another good offensive player or two in the mix there? Uh, how likely is it that he's going to be healthy? I think Giannis has that box checked big time for this year where he just has a, a history of showing up, giving you that high motor, playing hard, and it's a real, real question mark with Embiid. If you're asking me right now, who do I think has had a better season? Who probably ultimately will have a better regular season? Cody, I'd say it's, ha- I think hands down Embiid. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. have we have we gone through the whole episode yeah. and not mentioned the fact that in our entire database, which goes back to 1955, our box score model, the highest number in NBA history, it's been put up by a few, Michael Jordan and Nikola Jokic and Steph Curry, you know, those, those, those pathetic little seasons. Uh, <laughs> The highest number is plus nine. And Embiid's number this year is plus 9.1. Jokic is actually playing even better. So it's Jokic is setting the new mark. But Embiid would have the highest mark if Jokic weren't doing what he's doing. And as I said, you know, Giannis's numbers have been in decline for a number of years. He's closer to plus five. So to me in the regular season, I think it's a slam dunk. I think Embiid has been better and probably will be better. The playoff question is more interesting. After talking this through, I, I'm kind of thinking there's a decent chance in my head at the end of the year that Embiid may may be higher than Giannis uh, when I put everything together as long as he's healthy. Yeah. So to get to give Embiid like a, a fair shake with the net rating thing, in the like short amount of time he was with James Harden, which was the end of two seasons ago and then all of last season, 2,000 minutes when they were on the court together in the regular season, they're nearing a net rating of about 11 and a half, right? So we have evidence again of like being in a really high level team with a teammate. Ben, can I, can I give an answer? Can I actually cheat a little bit on this? Can I cheat on my answer? I think you're going to like this. You should say yes. Yes, say I'm yes. very excited. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to give you three answers. This is, this is what we came here for. Yeah. Is this is like Schrodinger's answer? <laughs> Except there's three cats, and we don't know which one is in the box. What's in the box, Ben? What's in the box? What's the box? <laughs> um, this season, oh, oh, in the in the words of Hubie Brown, whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> it, this season, I, I I clearly agree with you. The regular season, like Embiid, is very clearly having a better regular season than Giannis. Uh, going into the playoffs right now, who would I rather take at this moment? Mm-hmm. 
jury's out. Okay. I'm actually going yep. to abstain. One. I'm yeah. going to abstain from voting, although <laughs> I think I'm leaning slightly Embiid. I think I'm probably leaning Embiid, but then it's really hard for me to separate the context because I really like the context that Philly's going into, that will go into the playoffs with, and I dislike a little bit more the context that Giannis would be going in. All-time peaks, mm-hmm. like if I were to pluck the best version of Giannis versus Embiid going yep. to a playoff series, yep. I think it's a slight lean towards Giannis. I, that's, think, I'm, that's, I think I'm going Giannis. That's just to make the, you know, cover, check them uh, check the Milwaukee bases. <laughs> yeah, okay. What's the, uh, what's part three? That was all three of them. Okay. So well, regular season, Embiid right now. Going it. into the playoffs, I'm not 100% sure right now. All-time peak, I'm leaning Giannis. If you like this show, let us know if you want more debates like this uh send us ideas and if you didn't like it uh you know try to be nice just say i didn't care for send us that message say i didn't care for the debate otherwise you can support us at patreon.com slash thinking basketball that's where we have access uh to our stats board that we reference for players and teams all the time the the player cards are i mean we just pulled them up like five times during the episode that's how quickly you can reference stuff a lot a lot of fun things there that are very useful for us uh patreon.com slash thinking basketball cody how, how did you think this went how do you feel about it i really liked this episode. yeah yeah like, this, this was is- fun this is a great format. I'm a I'm a big fan of what just happened today. This was this was a lot of fun. I'm gonna have to uh, gonna have to think about this more. I might have to do some more of these. I think I don't want to like changing your mind made it sound like I had like I came in thinking one thing. I definitely didn't come in with like the three answers today. Like I came in actually thinking I was just gonna lean Giannis like the entire way. But I think over the course, like I got I got a little bit more nuance in how I was gonna say it in the end. So uh, this is this was really this was good. This was really good intellectually as well for me. I think the revelation for me is sort of this idea that Embiid is moving into a different level offensively. I think it's mm. hard to take that away. Uh, and where that ends up, we'll see. I, I, I get always get nervous about these things and sort of like biasing my future self and sort of put, you, you know, anchoring myself to where they're playing right now or what I'm seeing. But without committing one way or the other, that is the revelation that I've had from this conversation. It's like, man, Joel, one, Joel Embiid is playing great Two, his sort of offensive expansion and what that means in a playoff setting is really, really fascinating to me. And so that that's what I'm looking for going forward. That's my takeaway. I don't know if I said this. I think we maybe like danced around it. But one thing where like Embiid very clearly has an edge on Giannis is like, I just don't think Embiid has as many like poor wasted offensive possessions from like poor shot selection or things like that. I think his like discernment on offense is just on a completely other level from Giannis. And that's a big separator as well. Well, after 20 games into the season, when we're recording this, Giannis is shooting 80% at the rim. So he has to give it up somewhere else. You know, the 67% free throw shooting and the 28% mid range shooting or whatever need to need to kind of offset. Maybe it's a game theory thing. Maybe he needs to take some of those shots to open up and get that 80% at the rim. Uh, That's it for this one. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. It was a lot of fun to talk through. And um, as always, we hope you are having a great day. 